Heritage. I want to welcome all of you across our Heritage family. So our Bettendorf crew, greetings this morning, as well as those joining us online and, and all of you here at Rock Island to week two of Game of Life, a journey that we're stepping fully into this week, which will take us through the life of Moses. And we're positioning ourselves to really be able to navigate choices in life because we all face choices. Some of them are easy and some of them are hard. Harder ones usually have a bigger ripple around them, which is really important to understand because the choices we make set a direction in our life and lead us down a path. So we're taking time to understand how we live and move in a manner that honors God. And we're using the game of life to help us do that as we dig into God's Word. It's going to be impactful. It's going to be fun. Are you ready? All right, let's get started. Here we go. I just want to know by a show of hands, how many of you have ever played the board game, the game of life? Get them up high. Bendorf got them up too. All right, many of us have done that. And if you've played this game, you know that it simulates a person's journey from that college and career choice all the way to retirement. And along the way, as you move along the game board, you hit crossroads moments, and, and there's job information and things about marriage and kids. And you start off by picking a car, and you got pink and blue people. You spin, you go. It's, you have a blast. It's a fun game. You know that. But what you may not know is the game was originally created in 1860 by a man named Milton Bradley. He invented it. And it was originally called the checkered game of life. It had a very different board, but it was the same kind of concept that we know in the modern game. And it was so popular, it became the most popular parlor game in America in its day. Now, the version we know about wasn't published until 100 years later in 1960. But it was just as popular. In fact, the game has become a permanent part of the Smithsonian. It's been inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame. It's like the top of its genre, and it's even inspired a book called The Game of Life, How to Succeed in Real Life No Matter Where You Land. Great title. Sounds like a great book. I don't know if it's any good. It just has a great title. But the game itself, the game is interesting because it reveals the reality of choices. As we move along in the game on the board, we hit crossroad moments and we make choices, and those choices either help us or hurt us. Those choices matter. And the choices we make in life matter. But what complicates that reality is that every crossroad moment requires a choice. Every crossroads moment requires a choice. That's your first fill-in if you're tracking the note guide today. That every crossroad moment requires a what? A choice. We, we make choices, but when we make those choices at a crossroad moment, we're not just solving the crossroad, we're setting a direction. We're laying a foundation. Now, last week when we kicked off this series, we took some time to lay a foundation for the rest of our series. We, we did that by talking about posture. Our posture as individuals, our posture as a church. And I want to take a moment to review that concept. See, it all starts with the reality that those who follow Jesus live in a constant tension. We all do. In a tension between certainty and uncertainty. What is known and unknown. What is seen and unseen. We live in that tension. And when we experience uncertainty, we can, we can lay hold of doubt, and that doubt can lead us to a posture of insecurity. Out of doubt, we drift into insecurity. But on the flip side, in our certainty, in our confidence, we can actually move into a posture of arrogance, demanding something of God. And what's at the core of that arrogance is pride. But at that heart of insecurity is fear. So we can in doubt, drift into insecurity based in fear, or we can run and demand something in our arrogance out of pride. 
But instead of drifting or demanding, what God wants us to do is to drive down in our relationship with him to a posture of dependence. Say dependence. That was horrible. Say dependence. There we go. Dependence. See, dependence is a place of trust. It's a place that God shows up and does what only he can. But it is also a place where we can live with certainty amidst uncertainty. This is the foundation for our series. This tension between certainty and uncertainty is a reality we all face, but we all make decisions in that. We make different decisions. And those decisions lead us on a path. Those decisions can help us or hurt us. But this is the reality. They can lead us down to paths and down roads that have significant implications. And we need to know how we live in a posture of dependence so that we can honor God in all of those choices as we live life to the full. We're anchoring this whole conversation in the life of Moses, specifically the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn or click to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. Last week, we took some time to hit the highlights of Exodus chapter 1, and and this week, we're leaning into Exodus chapter 2, starting with the birth of Moses. And I know that this is a familiar story for many of us, but I want to invite you to walk with me from a slightly different perspective on this story to see how God wants to position us to life to the full today. So we're going to be starting again, Exodus chapter 2. You can follow along in your note guide on the screen or in your own Bible, but let's start with verse 1 of Exodus chapter 2. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Now, let me hold there. The tribe of Levi, that was the source of priests. In all the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the, the priests, the spiritual leaders came from the tribe of Levi. So a Levite married a Levite. They became pregnant, or she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Now, if you recall, in Exodus chapter 1, this son was born into a hostile environment, part of an oppressed people. He was born in a superpower nation, the nation of Egypt. And he, like every other male Hebrew baby, was born under a royal death sentence. Pharaoh had directed the death of every male-born Hebrew child. It was a tough time to enter the world as a Hebrew male boy. But the one thing that this baby had going for him was he had parents of faith. In fact, we find out in chapter 6 of Exodus that this baby's father was named Amram, and his mother was named Jacobed. And these parents were parents of faith. They also had a daughter named Miriam and a son named Aaron. But Jacobed, the mom, she was exceptional. She was exceptional. Look what happens. When she saw that he, the baby, was a fine child, fine meaning that he was, he was pleasant, he was agreeable, he was a good baby. When she saw that, she hid him for three months. Now, you got to remember, Pharaoh had given a royal decree that all Hebrew male babies would be thrown in the Nile and drowned. But she didn't comply to that. She was exceptional. She hid that baby for three months. And if you spent any time with a baby... Three minutes, three weeks, three days, three hours to keep them quiet is a tall task. Keep them hidden? She was able to do it for three months. She was exceptional. But at, one, at some point in that journey, she couldn't do it any longer. And Scripture goes on to say that. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. 
Jochebed was exceptional. Not because of what she did, but why and how she did it. You see, dependence is an issue of trust. Dependence is an issue of trust. It's not an issue of strength or weakness. It's an issue of trust. Just like faith is an issue of trust more than it is an issue of belief. It's trust. In Psalm 56.3, it says that when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's an expression of dependence. Now hear me. Dependence requires trust, and trust requires risk. Trust requires risk. In fact, if you're still tracking in your note guide, doing great things with God always requires a risk. It always requires a risk. To be part of the greater things of God, the greater purposes of God, it always requires a risk. No ifs, ands, or buts. So, doing great things with God will require an expression of trust, which requires a choice to risk. And, and Charles Stanley once said something about this concept that many believers struggle in and around. Here's what he said. He said, too many Christians have a commitment to convenience. They'll stay faithful as long as it's safe and doesn't involve risk, rejection, or criticism. Instead of standing alone in the face of challenge or temptation, they check to see which way their friends are going. And many times the people of God, when they stand at a crossroad moments, at crossroad moments, instead of Instead of stepping boldly in obedient risk with God, they'll look left and right to see what the crowd is doing, and they'll follow. But Jacobed and Amram, they didn't do that. They chose to risk with God. They chose to stand alone in obedient risk to God. And remember, that's important, because doing or being part of great things with God always requires that risk. Now, I'm not talking about foolish risk. I'm talking about obedient risk. I'm talking about living in a manner where we, where we are dependent upon God, where he needs to show up or we're in trouble, where we, we have a posture of dependence with the practice of prayer. It reminds me of a story about a man named Jack who was out for a hike along a cliff, and there was a large, just steep drop into a ravine beside him. But he got a little too close at one point, and he fell. He fell off the edge of the trail, he fell down the side of that cliff, and he was able to grab hold of a branch. Now, he looked down and realized he was like a thousand feet still above the ground, and, and he realized he couldn't climb out. He couldn't hang on for long, and he couldn't climb out. And in desperation, he just started to cry out, help, help, somebody save me, help. After a while, not hearing anything, he was getting tired, and he was about to give up when, when he heard a voice say, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you, I'm down here, help me. Jack, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Throw something down. Help me. Wait, wait. Who, who is this? And, and where are you? And the voice said, I'm the Lord. Jack said, God? Yeah. Jack said, look, God, get me out of here. I, I promise I'll, I'll stop sinning. I'll be a good person. I'll follow you all the rest of my life. And God said, oh, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Slow up on the promises. <laughs> Let's just get you down from here and then we'll talk. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen closely. Jack said, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. God said, Jack, let go of the branch. What? Jack, I said, let go of the branch. Trust me, let go. And there was this long silence. And then Jack said, help, help, is anybody else up there? <laughs> Look, doing great things with God always requires a risk that we may or may not want to take. 
But if we're going to live in independence on God, it requires trust, and trust requires risk. And Amram and Jacobed risked big. They didn't, they didn't do that just because of parental instinct. They actually did it out of faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that. Check this out. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. It was by faith hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not a what? Afraid. (laughs) They didn't let the uncertainty lead to insecurity rooted in fear. They weren't afraid of what might happen. They were more concerned about being dependent upon God and obeying him and willing to take the risk in that. Now, often in our dynamic with God, Often in our dynamic with God, we want to trust in circumstances and say, you know what? When I know what should happen in my confidence, I have that certainty, we'll drift over here in a place of independence and say, I know what's supposed to happen, so I'm going to take control, and that's pride. So when we're comfortable, we'll take control. When we're uncomfortable, uncertain, and we're afraid of what might happen, we take control again. In both places, we drift from dependence to independence. And when we do that, we remove God from the equation. And we rely on ourselves, and we've compromised the trust, and we've moved away from being able to risk with God. But as we saw at the end of our what-if journey, that, that relationship with God is based in trust, not circumstances. It's based in trust, and trust requires risk. And Amram and Jacobed, they risked, and God rewarded that as he interacted with them. You may know the rest of the story on this. See, in a way, Jacobed did what Pharaoh said, kind of. She put her baby in the Nile. She just put him in a basket first. But then she positioned her daughter Miriam to stand by and watch. This whole thing's very intentional. And once she risked and released that baby to God, then in, in God's providence... He brought Pharaoh's daughter into the picture. And I don't know if, if God had spoken to Jacobed and said, look, here's the plan, here's what I want you to do specifically, gave her all the details. I don't know how that all went down, but I do know he worked in the plan. And that plan involved bringing Pharaoh's daughter into the equation, who in turn told Miriam to find somebody to take care of the baby, who Miriam went and got her mom, and her mom was then positioned to raise her child and get paid for it. It's how God works when we live in a posture of dependence. God rewarded Jacobed's faithfulness, rewarded her willingness to release, rewarded her willingness to sit in a posture of dependence. When she, she trusted him and hid the baby. She trusted him and released the baby. And God always rewards dependence. He always rewards dependence expressed in trust. But choosing independence always comes at a cost. Choosing independence always comes at a cost. It always costs something, and the cost is immeasurable. It's things that we can see and things that we don't see. It's things that could have been, things that now can't be, or things that won't ever be because of the choices that we have made in that journey. But let's keep moving in the story for a moment because we get to see in, in verse 20 of Exodus chapter 2 that once, once, mo- once that baby had grown up a bit, Jacobed took the baby to Pharaoh's daughter. He became the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and she gave him the name Moses. And in that moment, in that action, Moses became part of the royal family. He lived a royal life. He had all the influence and education that Egypt had to offer. In fact, Egypt at this time was was scientifically and socially and academically at the top of everybody else in the world at this time. 
And we know that Moses had that education because in Acts chapter 7, we can read this about him. It says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Powerful in speech is going to be interesting a little bit later in our journey, but also action. So, so Moses had high, high education. He was trained. He was successful. But all, we also know that he had the influence of Jacobed in his life, and so he was raised not only with Egyptian education, but his Hebrew heritage. We know that there was that dynamic, and we know that there was a tension. And so as he was raised in both places, he almost is, it's like seemingly positioned to be used as a leader for God in a significant way. The problem was Moses had a hint of independence. He had a hint of independence. And at the age of 40, at the age of 40, Moses has a crossroad moment where he makes a decision that sets a whole new trajectory in his life. Let's take a look at it. Verse 11 and 12 in chapter 2 of Exodus. One day after Moses had grown up, he's how old? 40. Those of you paying attention, that's good. He's 40 years old. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. So his own people. So he knew where he came from. He had been told. He understood his heritage. He went out to watch them work and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Now that word beating can mean beating or striking, but it also literally can mean slaying, slaughtering, or killing. So this just wasn't a few blows. This was a severe beating. And then looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. So in that moment, Moses looks left, he looks right, and he commits premeditated murder. Up until this point, Moses had been groomed, educated, and positioned to be an heir to Pharaoh. But in this one crossroad moment decision, he turns everything on its head. He turns it all upside down. He changes everything because he moves from a, making a decision out of dependence to actually making a decision out of independence. And choosing independence always comes at a cost. It always costs something. In fact, if you're still tracking in your note guide, everyone loses when we choose independence. Everyone loses when we choose independence. It's not just us. It's the people around us. It's the people not yet around us. And it's the people who will now never be around us based on the fact that we just made a decision in independence. There is an immeasurable ripple when we choose independence. Now, here's the deal. Moses desired the right thing, but he went about it the wrong way. When Moses made the decision to kill the Egyptian, he went from living in a posture of dependence to living in independence. In his certainty and his confidence in what he knew should happen, he took an arrogant posture and prideful position, and he took control of something God wanted to take control of. He chose to be the deliverer of God's people his way rather than God's way. He wanted the right thing, but he went about it the wrong way. It was the right what? It was the wrong how. He chose to be the deliverer in the manner that he thought made the most sense. And in doing so, he disqualified himself. Now, I don't know if God wanted to use Moses from that public leadership role in Egypt more directly to set his people free, but I do know once Moses shifted from dependence to independence, he couldn't do it anymore. When we live in independence, it doesn't work. God's not able to do what he wants to do in the way he wants to do it when we live independently from him. And that's exactly what happened. We're going to see in a moment Moses also went on this side of the, of the equation as well. Moses chose independence. 
I know he was thinking that he was going to make something happen. In fact, if we went back to that Acts 7 passage, verse 25, says that Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. They didn't. We know that because the very next day, Moses goes out to the same area, and he sees two Hebrew men fighting. And he says to the one who's clearly in the wrong, he says, hey, hey, why why are you hitting your Hebrew brother? And in verse 14 in Exodus 2, that man responds, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was, what? Afraid. He was afraid and thought, what? I must have, what, must have become public what I, what I did. Now here's the deal. He doesn't quite know for sure how far it's gone. But the consequence of moving to independence leads us to that place of fear. He, when he made the choice to take things into his own hands, he positioned himself under this worry and anxiety and the uncertainty that comes from doing it his way rather than God's way. We keep on reading down through it. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. So it's out of the bag, cat's out of the bag, he, he's in trouble. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. He sat down by a well in Midian. Now, listen, we go back in Moses' story. His desire to see his people delivered, his desire to see them set free was not the problem. The problem was that he sought to bring that about in independence rather than dependence. God was the deliverer of Israel, not Moses. God was going to set his people free by his power, not Moses' power, not Moses' authority. He was going to work through Moses if Moses would stay in a posture of dependence, but it would be God's power that would lead them to freedom. God wanted to work through Moses by God's power, and God often wants to do the same thing through us. He wants to work through us by his power if we will sit in a posture of dependence. But we can be like Moses, and we can try to take control. And in fact, what Moses was, Moses was actually too big for God to use at this point. He was independent. Or or better yet, he was not dependent enough. So Moses went from 40 years of what seemed to be perfect preparation to be used by God in a significant way to now facing another 40 years of reteaching and preparation to be the man God needed him to be. But here's the thing. It wasn't just Moses who experienced another 40 years. It was the, the people of Israel experiencing another 40 years of oppression. And everyone loses when we choose independence. And I wonder in your life who's losing because you've been choosing independence. In your certainty or uncertainty. It matters. Let's move to so what? Because this whole series is designed to help us make decisions as people of God that that honor Him and keep us on track with His purpose. We face the same game of life, but we can all make different decisions. And in the game of life, you spin the spinner and you move wherever it moves and it's kind of luck of the draw, but we don't live that way. We have a God who loves us, who leads by his spirit and by his word, and we can learn from his word. And we can learn from those who went before us. In fact, Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians. Here's what he says. These are all warning markers, danger, in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. Continuing on, he says, you're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. Forget about independence. 
It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Cultivate dependence. That's a good word from Paul. But I think the pressing question is, how do we actually do that? And so I want to give us just three things to consider that will lead us in a posture of dependence, keep us in the middle where we're dependent on God, willing to trust, and also willing to walk through the rest of the journey with Him obediently. Those three things are to risk, release, and respond. I'm going to give you all up front. I'm going to walk back through them real quick. Risk, release, respond. Say those with me. Risk, release, respond. First is risk. Risk. This is to, to live in loving obedience to God. Trust requires risk, so risk with God. Risk beyond recovery. Risk beyond your ability to control it, but not beyond his cover. This is exactly what Jochebed did when she hid the baby. She risked beyond her ability to recover from that. If she was discovered, she would have been killed. The baby would have been killed. She risked beyond recovery, but not beyond the cover of God because she was obedient. She risked. It's doing the right thing out of a selfless heart of love, even when it's unpopular or even prohibited. Step boldly in obedience to God. Obey Him above all else, keeping in mind that doing great things with God always requires risk. So, first, risk. Second, release. Release. This is to choose Him above all other things, to hold with open hands the things we care about and the things that we love. It's to release. Release what you love. Quit hanging on to the branch. Independence always comes at a cost. So sacrifice, release that thing. When Jacobed let go of that basket in the river, she was releasing something to her that was very precious, but she was trusting that God would take care of it and perhaps even hoping that somehow he would bring it back around to return it to her. But she released it fully, in full dependence, not knowing if it would come back. She chose dependence in that releasing moment. So listen, giving to get is not giving, it's exchange. And releasing without letting go is not releasing. So release the thing you need to release. It might be a relationship, it could be a worry, it could be a problem in your life, it may be even a dream that you have. Release it. Risk and then release. Third, respond. Third is to respond. Step boldly into the opportunity that comes having risked and released. Obedience comes next. And, and Moses' birth family, they did this. Miriam, she was positioned to respond as she waited by the river. And Jacobed was positioned to respond when Pharaoh's daughter invited her to take care of Moses. It's a process of risk, release, and respond. Jacobed did this. When, when she hid the baby, she risked. When she put him in the river, she released him. And then when she stepped into that dynamic to care for him, she responded to the opportunity God gave. She did risk, release, respond. But Moses, in the story we read, did not. He didn't. Moses risked in the fact that he had an affinity for his people. He loved them and he saw a problem. But instead of releasing, he jumped to respond. He went from risk to respond. He didn't release. When he took control, when he took the, the situation into his own hands, he, he moved to independence, but he skipped release. When, when Moses stood in that place, having a posture of dependence, and he was willing to risk, when he moved to actually kill the Egyptian, he didn't release. He, he ran over here in independence and arrogance and pride. And then he set himself in a whole other journey because once he found out he was in trouble, that it was out there, he was afraid and he ran over here. And in his fear, he fled. You see what he's doing. He flip-flopped. 
If he just would have remained in a posture of dependence, there could have been a whole other scenario. He did not risk release and respond. He risked responded. And that is a shift from, from dependence to independence. It's moving to the left or the right in the diagram that we've been looking at. It's risk, release, respond. And here's the deal. If you're sitting here today and you're not sure where you stand in your relationship with God, some of this makes sense, but you're spiritually unresolved, my challenge for you today is to risk with Jesus. Risk with Jesus. Release your life to him. Give him control in your life and then respond to lordship, his authority in your life. Risk, release, respond. The moment you do that, your life is changed. You're now spiritually alive and you're positioned to live a life that can be to the full spiritually alive. You start in a place of innocence from the sin and junk of your life, but then you have these series of choices you've got to make to stay on task as you risk, release, respond over and over and over again. Here's a great quote from Oswald Chambers. It's too good to pass up. He said, God does not make us holy in the sense that he makes our character holy. He makes us holy in the sense that he has made us innocent before him. And then we have to turn that innocence into a holy character through the moral choices we make. Through those crossroad moments, we make choices that develop holy character out of the innocence that we have through the blood of Jesus. Jacobed and Moses had the opportunity to do this, and, and so do we. But we don't have to be like Moses in this particular circumstance that he had where we risk and respond. We can actually risk, release, respond. We can be like Jacobed. We can be like his mom and stay in a posture of dependence. And if you're thinking that your life is at a crossroads right now, you're right. You are. You're at a crossroads. This may be a second chance crossroads. It may be something God asked you to do before, but you didn't. Or a place that he asked you to depend on him, but you drifted. Or you ran and demanded. It may be a second chance moment, but every crossroad moment requires a choice. And all the choices at crossroads matter. So here's a bit of the hard truth around risk, release, and respond. If you tend to be, if you tend to be a person who is insecure or passive, then you won't risk. Insecure, passive people tend not to risk. If you're a person, if you're an action-oriented person, then you tend to struggle with release. Moses was an action-oriented person. We saw that in Acts chapter 7. He was powerful in speech and what? Action. He was an action-oriented person. That was this, his, his hint of independence came from his action-oriented person. Reality, and, and, and action-oriented people tend not to release. But then those who are half-hearted, those who are in this relationship with God for what they can get more than what they give, those folks tend to never respond because they're not willing to make the sacrifice that comes along with obedience. But if we're going to be part of doing great things with God, we need to risk, release, and respond. Because when we do that, then that gives the space for God to do his part, to work and move in ways that we maybe never thought possible. As a church, we are risking with God obediently and increasingly to strive to love the Quad Cities to life. We're risking in ways to love the Quad Cities. So we're going to release and have been releasing our comfort. We'll release our preferences to see the next generation love God as we respond to the opportunities he gives us to make his son Jesus known. That's our posture as a church, to risk and release our own comfort 
so that Jesus becomes known. I wonder, where is God asking you to risk for his greater purposes? Where is he asking you to risk for his greater purposes? Or where is he asking you to release for his greater purposes or to respond for his greater purposes? Where is he asking you to risk, release, or respond? It could be for you it's in a relationship dynamic with, with, a, with your child, with your spouse, with a sibling. And, and he's asking you to risk again with grace to try to, in obedience in order that you position yourself to release that person, that person to the God who loves them more than you do. And then to wait in a posture of dependence to respond if and when God brings those healthy, redemptive opportunities in front of you. Where is he asking you to risk, release, respond? You know, Beth and I and in our extended family, we have journeyed with a family member in addiction. And if, if you have a friend or family member in addiction, you know, you know the roller coaster ride that that is. But dependence gives us the ability to risk again, to live in loving obedience to God, not allowing unhealthy behavior, but setting loving boundaries so that we then release them to the God who loves them most, ready to respond by re-engaging in healthy interaction. It's risk, release, respond. Where is he asking you to do that? I want to encourage you, even now, right where you're at, to sit and take a moment, maybe on your note guide, to, to literally write down the thing or the place or the issue that God's asking you to risk, release, or respond in. It could be a child in your family. It's been a challenge, a sibling. It could be a relationship. It could be a problem, a loss, even a betrayal. Where is he asking you to risk, release, respond? If we believe God for what he said, then that should define how we live. And the uncertainty that we don't, the certainty that we don't know is really the way that we live in a posture of dependence on Jesus. It's how we stay dependent because he is trustworthy. We can risk, release, and respond with him. You know, I'm pretty sure that when Moses ran, I think he likely felt that God's ability to use him was over. That, that God had been positioning him to do something significant for his people, but now he had shifted to the independence that that was gone and that there's nothing that, could do, that he could do now to even fix that. But I think that's where God actually wanted Moses in the first place, in a place where he knew he could do nothing without God, in a posture of dependence, because he would ultimately learn to live out of dependence, and Moses would live, learn to live out of risking and releasing and responding over and over and over again in the future. But he had, to, he had to step back into dependence, and he had to risk and release and respond. And we're going to see how he did that through the rest of the series. But today, today is a crossroads moment for you. Right now, today is a crossroads moment for you. It's an opportunity to let go of the branch. It's an opportunity to risk and release and respond. It's an opportunity for you to stand at the crossroad in front of you and to look where God is calling you by his spirit and through his word and then to step boldly. What you do now in this crossroad moment sets not only a decision point, but a direction for the future. It's a foundation moving forward. And I want to leave you with the words of the prophet Jeremiah, who said this. It's actually the words of the Lord that he wrote down. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. 
Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. We all face crossroad moments, but today you can stand there and you can ask where the good way is and you can risk, release, and respond, and you can see God do something you thought never possible in your life as you sit in a posture of dependence alongside the practice of prayer. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, you are a good God who is so gracious to us. Your love never fails. You, you are faithful in pursuing us even when we run from you. You have all power and all knowledge, but yet you choose to work in and through us you choose to have a relationship with us, and you provided our, a way to do that through your son Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would today speak to each of us about where you're calling us to risk, release, and respond, where you're calling us to sit in a posture of dependence so that you can do your part. You can do what only you can, and we can see your glory in our life. We can see your favor upon our life. We can see your pleasure with who we are. God, I pray that you would forgive us for where we have wandered left and right and we've, we've shifted to independence, trying to take back control. Lord, help us to sit in a posture of dependence, willing to risk, willing to release, and willing to respond. And God, I pray for those that are here today who have never risked, released, or responded with you at all, but the opportunity today is to do that with your son Jesus for the very first time. And I pray you'd speak in these next few moments. They would, they would know your love and they would sense and hear you calling them, this is the way to walk in it, and, you, and, and they'll step boldly in obedience. But Father, as a church, we want to we wanna stay risking, releasing, and responding. So help us do that individually and corporately. Not just to see things change around us, to see your power at work around us, but to see your glory and to see your will done. I pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. And all God's people said, amen.